Our scripture reading today is found in Daniel chapter 1, 2 through 8. And it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of, the, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God which they, which they carried unto the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understanding, who had ability to serve and teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed of them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now then, now from among these of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Of them the chief of the eunuchs gave names 
to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the proportion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. May God bless the reading of his word. I didn't see any specific prayer requests on the bulletin board, although I'm aware of a few. Uh, Rick has had a little bit of a rough morning. He's supposed to be up here, but he's had some animal issues he had to take care of, meanwhile, back at the ranch. So... (laughs) I'm filling in a little bit, so he's having a little bit of a rough Sabbath morning, and uh, also Solomon isn't a little under the weather, isn't feeling well, so we need to keep him in our prayers also. So let's sing our song as we kneel for prayer. Sabbath morning. We look forward to the day when we can gather together around your throne and praise your name. That we can offer up our thanks for your salvation, for saving us from evil. And we can begin our life eternal with you in paradise. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and encourage us to keep the prize ever before our eyes, that we would be able to understand how much you love us and how you long to be with us in company, to walk with us and talk with us. And so this morning we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here with us that you'll speak through Steve and encourage us upon our way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
verse this morning, I want to thank Tiffany for the beautiful song and Francis for the scripture reading. Um, And also, before you look at the clocks in the sanctuary and panic that I'm not really speaking till one o'clock, or it's, but, you know, you may have looked at the uh, title in the bulletin that says today's message is called Conflicts of Conscience. Conflicts of Conscience is something that we all have. And there's been some of those in some big ways over the last two or three years. Um... One big one is with the COVID-19 shots or vaccinations. You know, some people, everybody had to make a decision whether they were going to get it or not. Some could make the decision freely of their own free will. Others were almost forced to get it, you know. Um, People lost their jobs over it. And it doesn't matter whether it's that or other things. There can be conflicts with other laws, federal, state local laws that your conscience does not agree with one of the laws. It could be a a conflict of conscience with something in the workplace. You may have a supervisor, a manager, that is putting pressure on you to do something that your conscience tells you not to do it. you You can have conflicts of conscience in your personal life, in your relationships, pressure from friends, family members, trying to uh, get you to do something that you're not comfortable with. And we are going to see more and more of this as we see the world that we live in become more godless, and we certainly see that, don't we? Um, The primary scriptures you got from the scripture reading this morning is going to be from Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel's day... He was living in a world where he was a captive, and it was a very pagan world. And there were some decisions that they had to make that were not easy. And before we get into that this morning, I'd like to suggest that there's three broad ways. You might be able to think of others, but I have three ways that um, you can respond to the culture when it becomes godless or pagan. What are you going to do about it when these things happen in your own life? Number one, one way that you can respond to it is you can actively oppose the culture at every turn. Stand against everything, perhaps with anger because of the freedoms that you're having to give up. Um, You can become an angry evangelical Christian, you know. The second way you can respond to the culture is pretty much the opposite. You can become fully assimilated, go along with the culture and everyone and everything, for some will tell you that is the Christian thing to do. But I'd like to suggest there's at least a third way that, that you can approach it. And I believe that's what Daniel and his three friends did. Take into account the culture. Go along with the culture, not in anger, but as far as you possibly can. And then when there comes a point where you can't go any farther, you draw a line and you do not go any farther. You have principles that you will not give up. 
But beyond those steadfast principles, you go as far as you can into the culture, and there's reasons for doing that. You take in as much as the culture as you can because you need to befriend people so that you can help people. You want to be able to have an influence. You want to be able to minister to people. And if you shut them off from everything, you're giving up that opportunity to do that. Yes, you will have convictions, and you need to live by them, and you need to know where to draw the line. Let's uh, turn to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to reread some of what um, Francis already read this morning. Let's, to begin with, let's look at Daniel 1, the first six verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and some of the nobles, youths in whom there were no defects, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning of knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court, And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choicest foods and from the wine from which he drank, and appointed them that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they would enter into the king's service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So as you saw here in what we just read, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to use the brightest minds from the captives of the Judah. And before we look at the ways that Daniel stood against the pagan culture, we're going to take a look at the ways that he participated in the culture. In fact, those ways may actually surprise us in just how far they assimilated themselves into the Babylonian culture. Number one, in education. We just read it in verses 4 and 5. They were to be educated three years in the literature and the language of Babylon. They had to learn the Babylonian language. They would be saturated with all kinds of pagan ideas, sexuality, the meaning of life, the pagan mythologies. They would have to be educated almost to the point of being brainwashed for three years. They would have to earn their degree in the University of Babylon. They could have refused to do this, But they accepted this because they believed by the grace of God they could endure this kind of education 
without losing their faith. And I believe the reason that they thought this and the reason that they did do this without losing their faith is because of their firm resolve to maintain their faith and their walk with God, the creator God, no matter what came. A second way that they assimilated into the pagan culture was they accepted careers in Nebuchadnezzar's government. They were going to stand before and with King Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, this king who had destroyed their country and their temple. And they would be his counselors and give him their wisdom. They were willing to do that. They were willing to stand with the king and help him rule Babylon. And don't think that that was an easy decision. I am sure there were many of the people from Judah that called them traitors for doing this. And number three, a third way that they assimilated into the pagan culture And I find this one particularly remarkable. Let's read Daniel 1.7 before we go into this. Daniel 1.7. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Uh, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And they accepted the names that were, they were given to them by King Nebuchadnezzar. How many of you know how much a name meant to the Jewish people? Their names had deep meaning. The name Daniel means God is my judge. And every one of the Jewish names in some way signified something about God. And now, despite this, they received Babylonian names and they accepted them and said once again, we can endure that too. Because we are here for a purpose. We are here to bless and to witness to this culture and our city And I'm sure there are many, many other ways that they assimilated into their culture that the Bible doesn't mention specifically. Well, obviously, there were some aspects of the culture they would not accept. Let's read now Daniel 1, verses 8 through 20. The beginning of verse 8 here, in my translation, says, but Daniel made up his mind. Um, But this is translated a lot of different ways in different translations. Um, In some it says he set upon his heart. Some it says Daniel resolved. Some says he purposed in his heart. However you want to say it, he resolved or purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food or with the wine which he drank. So he brought or sought, I'm sorry, permission 
from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the use of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence, in the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice foods and wine that they were to drink, and instead kept giving them vegetables and water. And as for the four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting themselves, the commander of the officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them not one was found to be like Daniel, or Hananiah, Meshach, or Azariah. So they entered into the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. So we find in what we just read here in Daniel 1, 8 through 20, that Daniel and his friends drew the line on diet knowing what an impact it would have on their overall health, on their mental health, on their spiritual health, as well as their physical health. But that is not the only place that he drew a line. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to read the verses from Daniel chapter 6, but it's a story that you're all familiar with. Even the children are familiar with Daniel and the lion's den. By this time... This was many years down the road when this happened. There was a new kingdom that was in charge and a new king, King Darius or Darius. I'm not sure the right pronunciation. I've heard a lot of people pronounce it both ways. Um, I find it interesting that here we are many, many years later in a totally new pagan kingdom, and yet Daniel again rises the cream of the crop, you know, to the top, being one of the top officials again in another kingdom, a totally separate king. But some of the other officials of the kingdom were jealous of Daniel. And you know the story. They went before King Darius and tricked him into issuing an edict 
that said, whoever bows, bows down to anyone but the king will be thrown into the lion's den. And you know the story, too, that that did happen. He got thrown into the lion's den because he refused to bow down and that the angels were sent to close the lion's mouths. And that's a nice children's story and all. But in real time, Daniel didn't know if that's what was going to happen. He had no idea whether God would send an angel or not to close the lion's mouths. But having no idea what would happen, he drew the line. He would not worship a pagan god or a pagan king. He would not stop his continual devotions three times a day to the living God, the creator God. He wasn't doing anything wrong other than this jealous edict that was made. He wasn't doing this on the kingdom's time. It was on his own time, in his own home. But he refused to worship anything or anybody other than the creator God. So, what does this mean for all of us? How do we resolve our own conflicts of conscience as they come along in life? Many of you have already had them, and there will certainly be more in the future. And there are no easier pat answers that I can give you from the pulpit. But I will suggest to you that there are a few principles to follow. Remember back, I'm not going to reread these verses. We've already read them a couple of times. But in Daniel 1 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. God allowed Judah to come into captivity. He had warned them that it was going to happen. You know. In Daniel 1.9, it says, Now God granted or gave Daniel favor. And Daniel 1.17 said, As far as the four youths, God gave them wisdom and knowledge. Notice God's sovereignty internationally. He is the God of the nations. And as I mentioned a moment ago, as he had prophesied many years ahead of time, that they would be going into captivity, and they did. But also notice God's sovereignty personally. God showed favor to Daniel and helped him in his predicaments as they came along. Notice God's sovereignty spiritually. When they stood before the king and needed the wisdom that they sought and asked God for, when that happened, lo and behold, God gave them what they needed. He gave them what God's sovereignty. My friends, you are where you are today because of God's sovereignty. You are where you are in your job because of God's sovereignty. In all kinds of the things that has happened in your life, he is there with you in your various predicaments. God is with you. God has led you to the point. But the point really is that God 
is always with us. God is not absent from his people. It is at times like this that we must remember the promises of Scripture where God promises to always be with us, to never forsake us, such as it says in Hebrews 13.5. God is always there. No matter what is happening, no matter how bad it looks, rejoice in his sovereignty. Even if we are where we are because of our own disobedience, Because, in fact, that was the reason they were in Babylon, isn't it? Another principle to follow is this. Number two, we must rely on the wisdom of God. God gave these four Hebrew boys wisdom to navigate through their crises of conscience. In the case of their diet, notice how they handled the situation. They didn't just brashly, defiantly reject the king's food. But with a gentle spirit, God gave them the wisdom to suggest an alternative. A diet of just vegetables with water to drink instead of wine. And the king's chief of staff eventually bought into it after a trial period, you know. Sometimes when we are confronted with a conflict of conscience, we need to pause before we rush ahead, make and make, sometimes we, I think, make rash decisions without even thinking them through. We need to think about it and ask the question, is there an acceptable alternative? Can we discuss the rationale of our convictions and do it respectfully? The story is told about a man named Stuart Briscoe who was from England and he was working in a bank in London One day, his manager, the chief officer in the bank, came to him and suggested that he do something that he knew really amounted to stealing from their customers. And Stuart knew he couldn't do this. But rather than rashly striking out at his manager, he thought calmly about it and then asked the manager, This or said this to his manager. If you want me to steal for you, what makes you think I would not steal from you if I had the opportunity? And the bank officer was taken back. He began to think about that. He said, You know, maybe having a part of eroding the character of my employees is not the best idea because it has ramifications. It has real implications. Sometimes the things we have to decide 
aren't that difficult on the surf surface, but sometimes there are things that are behind the surface that make them more difficult than other people might see. Such as, should I attend this wedding or not? There may be an easy answer, but there may not be an easy answer to that question. There may not be an immediate answer. And by the way, there may not even be the same opinion among Christians. There may be some differences of opinion. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, takes an entire chapter to talk about um, how some people's consciences would have allowed them to eat food that had been offered to idols while other, quotes, good Christian or Jewish people could not eat that same food offered to idols. And what Paul is saying is give the people some space. Not everybody is in the same place on their spiritual journey. Some people will have a different way of viewing things. But listen carefully to this. We have to let this generation know that love and conscience are not in conflict. Sometimes people try to make it look that way. Sometimes people say that if you're really loving, you would do such and such and such if you were really a Christian. But just because somebody says something, does that make it so? Brothers and sisters, I think you know that I believe that love is essential. But love should never be opposed to my conscience. No matter what my personal conviction is, even if I totally disagree with somebody about something, love should still abound. You weaken Agree to disagree, but still love the other person. We should have the ability to think clearly through issues, to use the reason that God has given us, but always have a loving spirit, allowing for differences of opinion. Just because you are under pressure, doesn't mean that you should ever violate your conscience. The end of uh, Romans 14.5 says, Let each man or every man be fully convinced in his own mind. I'd like to turn to that in a paraphrase, the remedy, and read Romans 14.5. The first part of the verse talks about some feast days. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another person considers all days the same. A person's opinion doesn't make a day sacred or not sacred, but each person can only benefit by what they have come to understand and believe for themselves 
So each person must study the evidence and then be fully convinced in their own minds. I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience with God tells me that God meets us where we are in our experience with him and gives us room to grow. The bottom line is this. There will come times when we have to draw a line in the sand. At that point, you simply take your lumps Whatever happens, happens. You want me to bow down and worship a pagan king? I simply refuse to do it. As Martin Luther once said over 500 years ago, Here I stand. I can do no other. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And in closing today, I would like to read you a quote, one sentence, from a godly man from years ago named Oswald Chambers. Anybody ever heard of him? He wrote a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. He was not an Adventist, but he was a deeply godly man. And I can highly recommend that devotional if you have not read it, My Utmost for His Highest. I didn't agree with 100% of what was in there, but then I don't agree with 100% of anything I read, even Adventist publications. So, um, But for the most part, he had very deep spiritual understandings, and it was a real blessing to read the book. But the sentence I want to leave you with this morning as we close is from page 165 of My Utmost for His Highest, and it says this, Never make a principle out of your own experience. Let God be as original with other people as he is with you. Never make a principle out of your own experience, but let God be as original with other people as he is with you. Our closing hymn is number 600. <clears throat>